0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith.
1: And I'm Matt Connor. You
0: wanted more?
1: Here is season four of
0: The Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Okay, here we go. We are talking to Sandy Batem today. We had a great chit chat with her, it was great to catch up. Um, talk about uh everything she's up to now and uh and everything that we've kind of intersected on in the past so we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back
2: Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. Can you hear me?
2: I hear you perfectly, like you're sitting across the room from me.
0: Oh, hi, Sandy. How are you? Hi, sweetie. Happy
2: New Year. How are you?
0: I'm great. Happy New Year to you. I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey.
1: Hey,
2: sweet baby boy.
1: How you doing? Oh, you know, we just relaxing. We've just been relaxing in the living room for two years.
0: (laughs) Aren't you
2: tired? Aren't you tired of relaxing in the goddamn living room for two years?
1: We've just, we've just, we've been watching the TV for two years. (laughs) Well, at least you have two cute puppies. We do have two cute puppies, and um, you know what? Honestly, and I know you know this as well, but um, you know, sometimes my puppies are my little therapists.
2: Yes, of course. They They listen. They don't even ask any
1: tough questions. No. No, they bring us such joy. And if no one understands the joy of a pet or a dog, I don't want to be friends. I get it. I've got a puppy now, you know.
2: Yeah. And I I have I have the best time observing dog behavior at the puppy park. I think if the world could just be a puppy park, we would all get a long way better because they just—they got something going there. They figure it all out. They associate with who they want to associate with in a nice way,
1: and they rebuff the ones in a nice
2: way. <laughs> it's really they funny.
1: They understand when to take the lead and when to follow. Kind of exactly. like being a good. Cor- it's, it's like exactly- being in the chorus.
2: It's ex- <laughs> ex- well. Unless you you don't want to be in the chorus, then it's and then it's not a good thing.
1: <laughs> no. No. <laughs> well, one thing that we have got to do tonight or this week is we have got to watch the finale of just like that. Mm. The sex in the city. And then we have to watch the second thing of the Gilded Age. Mm. Did you like the Gilded Age? You know, it it was a little bit of a you know, I we both loved um Downton. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, uh, so for me, it was kind of like having like your really favorite Italian restaurant and they, they mm-hmm. make, they make it a, a certain way. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm I'm going for the cheese, mm-hmm. stromboli. Mm-hmm. And then you go to another restaurant, you're like, mm-hmm. wait, um, I got to, <laughs> I got to try that again. I didn't dislike it, but I was so used to, yeah, Doughton, yeah, doubt and the, um, yeah. The dryness, of course, of all that. Anyway, so but the performances were all really good. Yeah, um, the actors, I love. The, all the,
2: the, the writing using... was a little less up to. I just, you just, yeah, maybe it's the same thing you're having. I'm having, I'm having a Stromboli problem. But
1: I it, need a, I need a, a palate cleanse and pretend like I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, well. I oh. guess,
2: I guess that's right. That's probably a good way to put it. I mean, the costumes were fabulous. The set was fabulous. The actors <laughs> are fabulous.
0: You know, Beautiful. I
2: was, just, I was just like, okay, I, I know the story, and it doesn't quite feel as authentic, maybe, even though I'm sure it was authentic to the aristocracy and the nouveau riche of, of that era in the US. But it just, I just, you know, it felt so natural.
1: Oh, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Downton Abbey. Latin. I think there was a black and white dress that this, one of the women was wearing towards the, at one of the parties or something. And I was like, oh my God, look at that costume. I right know the dresses were amazing. Um, you and Steven have a, we're gonna talk about lots of connections. We have lots of connections across the globe. You and Stephen have a huge connection. I think you both are from the same great state of Pennsylvania. Oh my God,
2: we are both from the same great state of Pennsylvania, and from small towns. Although Stevens from, Stevens from a large metropolis compared to my small town. We've discussed
0: this, right, Stephen? Yes, yes. Uh, Connellsville versus Carmichael.
2: <laughs> How many kids in your graduating class?
0: A lot.
2: Really, I had seventy-eight. Oh um, my gosh, you're kidding. No, I'm from, you don't know, one thing you didn't know about me, Matt, that I was the first runner up to the bituminous coal queen. <laughs> <laughs> and Connell, Connellsville always had a coal queen representative. Did, did, didn't did you remember that? Oh um, God, Stephen yeah. Stephen Gregory. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I mean, you plant, you, you laugh, Matt, but I took this very seriously from the time I was in kindergarten. I wanted to be the coal queen. And you, so your senior year, it's it happens like the August. It's in August every year, and um, it's all of like the met the, the the DC metro area. But it's like all of the schools from uh, Green County where I grew up. And are you in Fayette? Susan? Yeah, yeah, Fayette County and. Jefferson County and all the little counties around there send a representative from their high school senior, uprising senior class. And um, you have to do a talent portion and you have to wear a gown. You didn't have to do bathing suits. But um, yeah, and the year I wanted to be the Coal Queen, I worked really hard. I did the, something from The Sound of Music and I did, I sang and did a point number ballet point number and the girl from union town one. i was pissed <laughs> always a runner-up never a damn queen
0: oh my god yeah it's it's true i remember um on the school bus on the way to school we'd always pass by coal and coke ovens you know <laughs>
2: yeah yeah i mean with coal country you know and um and so somebody would say to me what the hell's bituminous mean and i'm like well see it's soft coal it's different back there, um, but yeah, we both grew up in. Was your dad in the mining business, Stephen?
0: Um, I don't know. Well, he wasn't. Um, I think he may have thought about it briefly, but I, I don't. He got into uh, working for Anchor Hocking for a little bit, the glass company.
2: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And he did it, and then uh, he was fortunate enough to go over in Uniontown. And he worked there for a majority of his life. He worked in the freezers a lot, oh, um, wow. which was very hard on his body um, yeah. with arthritis and different issues. But yeah, um, it's it's uh, different kinds of lines of work there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All, all but- of my, all of my, like all of my uncles were in the coal mines. My, both of my granddads were in the coal mines and, you know, most of the, probably i think in my graduating class of 78 kids only 15 of us went to college and you know the boys all went to the coal mines you know they're they're all closed back there now but it's just that's the business
0: there's a a fabulous old movie called the corn is green oh really starring betty davis
2: i'm going to write it down the corn. how do you spell it just corn is like C-R-R- C-O-R-N-I-C-E?
0: No, 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 the corn, C-O-R-N. Oh, corn, corn green. The corn green. is green. Oh. And it's based on a play mm-hmm. and it's set, I believe, in. don't quote me on this, but it's like set in Ireland, I wanna say, they also had some mines over there yeah. and it was all about how the, the, the youth, the male youth, like were just kind of marched right into the mines and their, li- the, their lives were thrown away and she was a teacher and she was to, to provide them education before they went into moms and, you know, and there was one student she fixated on that th- she thought he could get uh, have a better life than that.
2: Oh, that's um, interesting.
0: It's a fantastic movie based on a play. Um, I think there was a revival of the play done semi-recently in the past hmm. 20 to 30 years. But anyway, that, that just reminded me of that. Um, and a role that you should probably play.
2: Well, thanks. I'm going to look that one up tonight. Lord knows I'm looking for a role to play.
0: A beautiful story. <laughs> beautiful story.
2: Well, I would get it, too, you know, growing mm-hmm. up in that world.
0: Exactly. Um, so, we, we yeah, we both started in small towns in Pennsylvania. Um, what was – so you didn't get the Coal Queen. You so were she packed around.
1: her bags and she went to Morgantown. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Matt, you know my history. I packed my bags and I went to the big city of Morgantown, West Virginia. Yeah. You know, I mean, growing up in, it's so interesting. I had to do something. uh, I had to do something recently and I had to tell a little bit about myself and I thought, what what about me is interesting? And then I thought, well, you know, I, I told the story. You know, I grew up in this little tiny town, about 800 people and graduating class of 78. We had no music. We had no choir. We had no, ever, never in my whole time of being in high school or junior high, a high school play, a high school musical, nothing. Um, you know, I started taking dancing lessons at five at the VFW and, uh, and never even had a like a middle school. We never even had an elementary school music program. And you think about, how starved, you know, and how far behind you are when you come from an environment like that. And the only thing that you have is I sang, and, and then I grew up Protestant in a Catholic town. So, you know, there was like a Catholic church and then there was probably five or six, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, we were Lutherans. And so I sang at the Lutheran church and I started singing in the choir when I was 12 because... They loved me. They gave me all the solos because there were only like five people and they were all 80. (laughs) Right. So that was my career, you know, and then you go to college and you're like, and these kids are coming from, you know, playing roles for their whole lives and everything. So I felt like I was always playing a touchdown behind and, you know, didn't get to be in a play or musical until I was in college. Isn't that funny? It's interesting.
1: What, what, What drew you to WVU?
2: You know, we didn't have a lot of money. I grew up, you know, my dad was a mechanic. My mom, neither one of my parents or my dad was a 10th grade dropout. My mom um, was smart, you know, finished high school, but they never, they grew up very poor. They didn't have any money. Um, you know, my my county, Green County, Pennsylvania is the, uh, it's the poorest county in the state of Pennsylvania. And um, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know that uh, a lot of, I didn't know Carnegie Mellon existed. I mean, I knew it was there, but we could never even afford to look at it. So, you know, my options were West Virginia University, Penn State, Um, you know, I needed to go to an affordable school and I got a, a music scholarship. So I was a music major that was, you know, and even then didn't pay for everything. And it was really cheap when you look at it compared to, you know, sending my own kids to schools and stuff. So yeah, that was it. But Morgantown was good to me. I had fun there. It was, it was an interesting time. I just wanted to move on. I did bush gardens in the summer times. And, and then I revisited the, the dream of becoming, um, you know, I think Stephen would probably attest to this. When you grow up in these small towns, you know, your role models and your dreams are to become You know, Miss America, because back in those days, you know, Miss America got scholarships to go to graduate school and Miss America got to go do USO tours. And that looked really good to me. And so I tried to become Miss West Virginia. I was, you know, Miss, uh, what the hell's the name of it? I'm on in Daly County. And I went to the Miss America, pa- uh, to the, the, the pageant to try to become state representative there. And once again, always a runner up and never the queen. But it was such an eye-opening experience for me because it was one of those times where you go, oh my God, I, I, this was my ambition and my dream. And how uh, it was really an eye-opening experience of disenfranchisement. And I swore to myself then that I would, if I ever had a daughter, I wouldn't let her participate in beauty pageants because it was just the whole, the whole premise of them was just kind of, you know, not really positive experience. And that was a long time ago. So it's even gotten worse. But um, yeah, that was, and then I realized that I just wanted to leave a small town and go to the big city and you know, the rest is just kind of like, you know,
0: always chasing a dream. You know, <laughs> incidentally, both of my brothers went to WVU. Oh, they did? So I spent quite uh, a bit of time there um, visiting or going to the mountain lair. Um,
2: oh, yeah. Was that a
0: restaurant? It's like the, the like student center kind of area. Um, it, was a, it was It was a number one party school.
2: Oh, yeah. That's what I went there for. Oh, right.
1: But speaking about the big city, you did eventually end up going to the big city in our business. Yeah. So what? how did you, how did you end up with, with that journey?
2: Well, I, I got it during my senior year of college. I was desperately looking for work and I had to break it to my parents that I was probably going to go become a waitress in New York when I got out of college. And they were still paying off student loans because... They insisted we were the first, we were the, my mom and dad's kids were the first kids in our, in their very large family to go to college. Um, So they were very proud of that and they wanted to make sure that they paid for all of our education. And so I hated to break it to them that I was going to, you know, have to go wait tables because I was going to be an actress. Um, But I was lucky enough to audition for um, Summer Stock. Do you remember? When the Kenley players, I'm, you guys are so young, but there was there was a wonderful summer stock program in Akron, Ohio that John Kenley started, and he was pretty old whenever I was there. I mean, he was in his late seventies, maybe early eighties back then, and they had amazing talent. And it was in Akron, Ohio, so I went to Akron, Ohio for ten dollars. I think I made like ten dollars a day or something. <laughs> I don't I had to do the box office, I had to do, I had to do props. I, you had to work through everything that summer. And he, he would tell you, I took voice lessons and then he, he would listen to everything. And then he would say, he would let you know if he was gonna give you a show by the end of the summer. And he told me he would give, you, give me my equity card by the end of the summer. And so I did a production of Oliver, and with Rip um, Rip, Rip, what's his Rip name? Rip
0: Torn?
2: Whatever his name. Yeah, I think it was was his name, that guy. He was kind of a craggy comedian. Rip Taylor? Yes, Rip Taylor. And oh my gosh. He That's played Fagin. Yeah, he played Fagin. And so I was the milkmaid. Was I the milkmaid or the strawberry girl? I can't remember. I was one of the two. I've done both of those. But anyway, um, I got my equity card. And so that was like already one step. And so when I went to New York, uh, my aunt and uncle lived in New Jersey and they told me I could live with them. And my mom and I had gone up to stay. We went to see 42nd Street and it was relatively new. I mean, it was only a few years old and I was, I sat in the audience there and I said, I'm going to be in this show. I am going to be in the show, talk about, you know, m- manifesting. I walked out of the theater that day and I literally found a dime as soon as I walked out of the theater. <laughs> and I picked it up and I was like, this is fortuitous. And sure enough, Andy, That's happy-
1: the beginning of your film.
2: I know, it really is. That's and the
1: beginning of the, of the Sandy's. It
2: gets uh- even better because what happened was, uh, they were having an audition. And so I went to the open call and it was wrapped around the block. I mean, there were hundreds of girls there and we had to go through the dance call and it was all day. And, you know, they, you know, they do, a, I forget, I think it was like a, I don't remember what I don't know if it was a tap or a ballet call to begin with. And they cut a bunch of people and I made that cut. Had to come back the next day and got got through that one and got called back the next day. And I kept saying, Oh, please God, just let me sing. Let's let me get to sing. And 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 they took me to the next one and I got caught. And I was despondent. And back then it was so cheap to fly back because they had like all those cheap airlines. And I was just so sad. I, I said, I'm going to, I'm gonna fly home for a couple of days. I was exhausted. And I flew to Pittsburgh, this is before cell phones, of course, and I'm my, my getting off the plane and my mom is waiting for me to pick me up. And she said, you just got paged at the airport. And I said, what? And she's like, you just got paged. <laughs> I didn't have an agent or anything. I don't know how this happened. But I go and I, you know, I called, I think I had a service probably. And I called and they said, you have a call. And I called and it was David Merrick's office. And they said, we want to see you again tomorrow. No. So I immediately did not even, I didn't even have a suitcase because I just flew home for like the weekend, like the, you know, it was like a Thursday and I turned around and I got right back on the next flight because back then they had quite a good service between Pittsburgh and New York and, or New Jersey or wherever I was going. And I went to the audition the next day and we got to tap and And I thought, please let me sing. Please let me sing. And I got, I got, then they said, okay, now we're going to, they kept cutting people, kept cutting people. And they said, now we're going to sing. And this girl in front of me was so nervous and she was fidgeting. And she said, oh my God, I don't sing. I'm a dancer. I just only dance. And this is so scary. And I was like, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So, so, you know, I didn't want to follow someone who was like a Nova. So, you know, um, the girl goes out and she walks out on the stage and they said, what are you, are you, you, you going to sing for us? She goes, I'm really a dancer. I don't sing. And they said, well, can you sing something? And she said, uh, not really. And they said, well, how about happy birthday? And she said, okay. And I was like so happy. And me being, you know, as full of piss and vinegar as I was in those days, I walked out and I said, hi, um, I'm a color tour soprano and I can sing an aria or a show tune. What would you like? <laughs> What a bitch, right? And um, so Lucia Victor, who was the director at the time, and and they were all sitting out there in the audience, and she said, oh, we'll take an aria. (laughs) So I sang the end of Adele's laughing song. I knew every musical back then had a high C. And I thought, if I can show them I can sing a high C, I, I can at least be in that list of somebody who can sing a high C.
1: Right.
2: So sang the high C, and they said, go get fitted. That was my story. Isn't that wild? It was wow. such a, it was such, and it's all been downhill since. <laughs> but yeah, that was it. It was really exciting.
1: And what, theater was that in? It was at the Majestic. And is that where the auditions were? Yeah. Wow. So you're actually auditioning on the yeah. same stage you're going to be performing on. Yeah.
0: That's so incredible.
1: Yeah. It was really thrilling.
0: And how thrilling. long did you end up doing that show?
2: Well, I did, the, that was for the first national tour. Mm -hmm. And David Merrick was so cheap. Um, So he, you know, the the days of those golden days of hiring, what, 60? We got we had 100 tapping feet. So there were 50 kids in the chorus or 50 kids in the chorus between the principal dancers and the chorus dancers, plus the principals. Um, It was a big ass show. And so he had to pay all of us because we were all auditioning in New York. So he instead of paying per diem for all that time. We were going to open in Chicago. So he moved all of us to Chicago and based our home base in Skokie, Illinois. No lie. And we all had to report there right before Thanksgiving. And we had a six week rehearsal and we opened on New Year's Eve at the Lyric Opera House in Chicago, a magnificent, magnificent theater. And there was so much, there was so much going on, it was such craziness with casting and people moving around. I got bumped up and to like one of the smaller little roles and the girl that was playing that got bumped down to like, we switched places and it was like really weird. And then the girl who was playing Anytime Annie, and then I got the understudy for Anytime Annie and the girl who was cast as Anytime Annie, David Merrick was at our rehearsals. And for some reason, one day he decided he didn't like her. But he was married to Karen Prunzik, who originated the role on Broadway. And so she was there with him. And this other girl looked an awful lot like her. She's still my friend to this day, this other girl. And, and I was the understudy. And he was like, he was kind of ruthless. And he fired her on Christmas Eve. We're opening in a week. And Karen Prunzik comes in and joins our company to open the company. It was it was it was mayhem. <laughs> it was mayhem, and it was it was like one of those things that you think, "What is going on here?" And so you, everybody was scared to death that they might lose their job. And you know, this was this was the the eighties. You know, and people were scared. So it was really really interesting. It was it was it was life lessons uh, on going from zero to 60, you know, I'm a small town country girl and come into this kind of action. I liked it, but it was really, really crazy. Fun. Yeah. I was, I was in it for, oh, Stephen's question. We were on tour. We left, we were in Chicago for like five months and then we went to Las Vegas. We were one of the first shows to go to Vegas and we crashed and burned there. So they, and people were like coking out and stuff. And it was kind of crazy. And they closed us and they fired a bunch of people. They reorganized three months later, we all got put on like hold for three months and then we went back out and I was out, I was in that show for
0: like a total of over four years. Yeah. Wow. And, and so after Karen, like just opened the show, you just assumed the role.
2: No, then they went, so then they somehow, I don't know what happened with the other girl. I don't know whether she got into a feud or how they legalized it, but she came to Vegas and I was still just the understudy. And then when we regrouped Beth level, fabulous Beth level wow. came as, as anytime Annie and I was still the understudy. And so I didn't assume the role till Beth went to New York. And so when Beth left for New York, then I took over for the last year and a half or so of the role. hmm and then when well, Beth left New York for a stint, that's when I went to the Broadway company and took Beth's shoes there. I wish Beth would just let me follow her wherever she goes
0: and when she's done, give me the
2: role. <laughs> what the hell? That's, uh,
0: that's a lot of years of heavy tapping.
2: Yes, it was a lot of fun. I was in great shape back then.
0: Gosh.
1: Um, you and Stevie met with uh, Paddy LuPone. Yes, we did. I have to tell you this, Stephen.
2: I remember sitting on stage watching you. I I was really fascinated by you because you were like downstage left and I was sitting at a table. We were supposed to be at a party or something. And I just remember just being enchanted by your great listening skills and your active participation of you know, downtime when we were like, you know, scenery, and I was, I was, I was transfixed. I was sitting there going, "God, this guy is like so." I probably wasn't in the scene
1: since I was watching you so much, but
2: I thought you were just so wonderful. Um, and uh, and I remember thinking, "God, this guy's really, really good." And then, of course, I saw your work thereafter, and of course, you are really, really good.
0: It's Keep- so it's so funny though. Cause I, we were walking the pups before the podcast and I, 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 had you know, I was listening to things, the, you know, different ways in which we intersected over the years. Cause we always like to kind of bring those up. But, and I was like, Oh my God, it was Regina. Yeah,
2: I, Gallop, I, Gallop, Gallop all around.
0: Yeah, oh my God. And I said, I remember thinking, who is this woman? And she's like, in an opera, yet dancing well, I'm intrigued. She was like the unofficial dance captain, um, and and like I just remember going, who is she? Like in a in a fantastic way of like, how have I never run into this woman before in this town? Um, but that was also where I met and you met um, Aaron Driscoll. Yes, yes. So there was a lot of like. People coming up in that show. Uh, Tom Simpson was in that show.
2: Tom Simpson was my galloping partner.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was just um, dating
2: Sherry at the time, I remember.
0: Yep. Um, but I remember just the experience of being in that room with oh my Patty. God.
1: Oh,
2: wasn't it something? It, I got to have a really interesting conversation with her. Um, I don't know how it happened. I was scared to death of her, of course, because she was you know, who she was. Not that she, you know, just because she was a queen. And somehow we we connected on I just somehow we had this really lovely conversation about children because I had kids at the time and I knew she had kids. I did my homework. <laughs> and we had this really lovely conversation about her kids and her life. And um it was brief, don't don't she hasn't called me up and asked me how I'm doing or anything. But um I just remember, you know, having a neat conversation with her. And I do remember that they lowered the keys. Do you remember that?
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I liked listening to it better that way. Of course, I know. It was yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I remember falling in love with the score of yeah. Regina.
2: It was lovely. It was fun.
0: Um, but yeah, that's where we first met. Uh, I was trying to do the timeline of like where things went from there. Um, I know that. Who you, cares about a timeline? We're stuck in the living room. Though that's why it's important because
1: <laughs> You want to relive? We want to relive the glory days. You were. I think one time you dressed up as Santa. Oh yeah.
2: Oh so yes, yeah, so the horse. Steven for Fantastic. For we, fan, he's dressed up as Santa more than once for me. More
0: than <laughs> once, we've we've done sev- three cabarets together. Um, more and, to come, I hope. Well, the first time I think we saw you, Sandy, uh,
1: in, your, in your wonderful cabarets, I believe was maybe a Dorothy Parker show. Oh, yeah. and did we see that at the Yes, Levine? you did. You came to the Levine School, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that let's was a- talk about that for a second, because now we, 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 you know, of course, you didn't choreograph 42nd Street, and of course, you got in it, and you found a dime, which is uh, already did. a movie. Yeah. But... When you put together your own material, which you've done many, many times, um, what, 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 is, what does that kind of take? What, kind of, uh, what, what inspires you? Do you have a window into that? Do you listen to, to other people's work? What is that about?
2: Yeah, let me just say this. I've done it well, and I've done it really poorly. Um, it's probably the hardest art form. Um, Agreed. I think it's extremely challenging. I think it's, somebody once asked me, I think it was, I did a little interview with cabaret magazines or something, cabaret scenes or something and they said, what is the hardest, what is the most challenging role you have ever played? And I said, myself in a cabaret.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, It's so hard um, to do it well. And I have done it well and I have not done it well. Um, I think you know, the Dorothy Parker thing was more of an art form thing and it was an art piece that Lanny had taken a bunch of Dorothy Parker's poems and musicalized them with um, his own compo- compositions. And um, and so that took a lot of effort to come up with some kind of linking and pattering that could kind of tell a little bit of story about who she was and who she, you know, who her friends were at the Algonquin. And it was centered around, we centered it around that world. I think it was an intellectual piece. It was really challenging to do. And then the, then the debate came with, what do I do? Do I pretend I am Dorothy Parker? Because she had such a, uh, an iconic voice and... She was so sardonic and so uh, smart. Um, and so it, it it was a tricky piece. Um, I remember, I, can't, I think it might have been Karma, connected me with David Friedman in New York. And he was really helpful. I had him come and watch it and give me some guidance. And he was really, really pivotal in helping me get it to a place that felt like it was something interesting. I subsequently, you know, knew that that show was going to be really difficult to book or do anywhere because I had people say it's really fun, but it's really artsy. And, you know, if you don't know who Dorothy Parker is, it's you're not going to get people out.
0: Um, yeah.
2: So some of it was just like singing songs I like and with no rhyme or reason. And that was, fun but didn't really mean anything and then the Gershwin thing was made sense because it was all Gershwin tunes whether they were you know the lyricists or the composers or both you know or they were collaborating with others that was just fun evening to do so that was based on that and just great tunes and then um i stumbled i think my best show is probably and then the other couple of them were just the songs i did on my albums but I think my best show that I've collaboratively really put a lot of energy into is my blonde show. And it kind of came about one day I signed. I was feeling, you know, I was going off to the hairdresser and I was in a meeting and I signed off on an email. Ever blonde word, you know, instead of ever onward, ever blonde word. I'm exercising my right to remain and be a blonde. And I thought that's kind of a catchy. That's kind of a catchy phrase that suits me. And I thought that could be an interesting show. And initially, I thought of it as being a show about aging in show business and how challenging it is to be a woman aging in show business and how, you know, we kind of get put out to pasture earlier than, than most men. And so at that point, I kind of had stumbled across Andrea Marcovici who was you know a goddess in the cabaret world. Um, and I reached out to her and I said, I have an idea for a show. And we met, we met singing on a little mixed cabaret out here in LA. and we, And then I did a little workshop with her one day and I started to ignite the spark. And I said, I want to do a show about women and aging women. And she was like, I love the thought of it. I love the title. And she said that it can't be about aging women because you you're aging well and you don't wanna, you know, you don't want your audience pissed off at you. You want your audience to be with you. And she gave me some of the most interesting, helpful, guiding advice in in my performing career, especially in that in that genre. She helped structure that show and helped me with the pattern. And that was probably one of the true, true, my own creation kind of idea that went from soup to nuts to fruition. And as a matter of fact, I'm gonna take it to Edinburgh this summer. I'm going to the festival in the fall with it. Um, And um, I mean, that's what's on the plan at this point, but- In Scotland? Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you been there before?
2: No, but my producing partner, Christopher Sepulveda, has been, and he came to see my. La- I did it here right before COVID, or you know, a few months before COVID. I did it here in North Hollywood, and and he came and he said, you know, I think your show would do really, really well in Edinburgh. It's the kind of thing the music things do really, really well there. And he said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so he reached out to uh, the one of the big vendors out there and sent them some material and and said, you know, do you think? you'd be interested in, in having her. And, and this was all pre right. I was going to go the first year of COVID and um, they were interested and I didn't want to do, I just want to do like, you know, one week or eight shows, you know, I don't want to be there for the month. I mean, no one would come, but I think I don't want a big room. I just want a nice small room, but I think it could be really, really fun. And I'm going to try to piggyback it with maybe do um, find a really cute play. I'm looking for a cute, two-hander comedy that I can do in rep for two weeks, you know, that I one night I can do the play, one night I can do my music. It could be really fun.
1: Oh, that's so fantastic.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, we're in talks, but I, I'm planning to go. And um, so we'll see. But, yeah. So, anyway, that – but a word of advice to you or to any of your listeners who are in Cabaret, and maybe they all know this, so maybe it was just only enlightenment for me. But I asked Andrea, I said, you know – how do you do it night after night when you feel like your audience is just like not with you or, or they're losing interest or, or, you, or you start to get self-conscious? Because that's what happens to me. And she said, you cannot lose yourself in yourself. Because sometimes I can feel myself completely stepping out of my body, watching myself going, I'm totally tanking. I'm totally tanking. And she says that happens to her too. And she's you know been doing this forever. And she said, you know what I do when I start to feel that happening? She said, I look at somebody in the front rows, something about them, their person. She said, whether it's their glasses, their socks, the shoes they're wearing, the way they comb their hair. And she said, and I just really focus on that for a moment. And then as soon as my song is done... I say, I love those socks you've got on. Can you show everybody those socks? And immediately, she said, immediately, your audience is right there with you. They feel so connected. They feel so loved by you because you noticed something, some small detail. And I have used that trick over and over, and it works like a charm every time.
0: Wow! (laughs) Do you know what's funny is I have... uh, the same kind of things have ha- I've done very quirky shows. Um, and I understand how I look and seem saying some of the crazy things that I say. So I just make it a conversation with the audience. And if, right. I, if I feel that I, they are not following me or whatever, I acknowledge the weirdness. Of Good. what I'm discussing. Yeah. And, and, you know, let them in on the, like, I see how you're looking at me, ma'am. I understand how this sounds, you yeah. know, and immediately they're back. Um,
2: yeah, but, but I think you've always been such a natural at all of this. That's why you guys are constantly, I mean, I, let me just say this. I, Matt knows this because I talk to him more than I talk to you on the phone, Stephen, but you guys are like a muse to me. And huh. I mean that whole, I know you are. I mean that wholeheartedly. You've always had the guts to march to your own drummer and, and beat the drum and not apologize for anything you're doing. And you create and you inspire and you are constantly looking and creating and, and making things happen. And it takes real true guts and real true determination. And I admire it from the highest, highest praise. I really, really do. It has encouraged myself to do more things that way because, you know, if you let the grass grow under your feet, it's going to grow. And if you want to make things happen, sometimes the best route is making it happen on your own. And I just want to acknowledge both of you so much for your talents because it is it needs to be said and you know it and it's nice to hear it once in a while that people appreciate what you're doing. And I do, I honestly do. So
0: thank you so much, Sandy. That's, that means a lot to us. Um, uh, Well, you, you as well, you have been such an inspiration to us. And I think
1: every, I think I really do feel like we, have performed together more than we have because we've been together in so many similar situations for, for a very large chunk of our time. And me and Stephen kept talking about shows. We we're like, I'm like, no, I think we, we've got to have done more shows because we, we would, but you know, we had lots of times where maybe you were in a show and I was at the piano. Yeah, we were
2: at the piano and I was at the piano watching Stephen on stage.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was putting five bucks in the jar. I,
1: I want to talk about, you've told us a little bit about what it feels like to go through an audition for, you know, the big time. I'm going to now, I want you to talk about what, I don't know anything about this world. So you'd be a great, you're a great person to talk to about uh, film and and TV and how all that works because you also, like a beautiful chameleon, have you know, found your way into that part of the industry, do you um, have to go in, you have, do you have to be called into an audition for t- TV and film? Or if when you find uh, an audition, do you go in with what kind of material?
2: Hmm. Or do you, you just read a cold read thing? I've done cold reads. Um, usually, um, you know, my audition, I'm a hustler, so I'm always looking. Um, I'm always checking, you know, databases and I'm always checking casting sites. Um, sometimes I, you know, will cold submit. Um, most of the time for TV or film, like, you know, those usually come through an agent or if you find something that you can send, you know, self, you can submit and then they invite you to uh, eco at this point. Um, I find it to be, I mean, I, one thing I do is I do take, you know, I've been taking classes since I've come out Here to Los Angeles and I do take weekly, you know, acting classes. So, you know, three hours a week I go to class and and it's mostly for on camera work. Um, I mean it 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 pays off in, in stage work too, because you're always working on, you know, yourself and you're working on your character. But what I find is when I am doing like a live show, it's it's like you guys know you're in the studio a lot, you go to the recording studio a lot. And so it's like the first time you go into the recording studio from being a stage actor and suddenly the microphone is like one inch from your face and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how loud to sing. I don't know how hard to work. I don't know how hard to push. And, you know, the first time I went into a studio, I was just, you know, over singing and just, you know, killing myself. And, and it's, it's, it's so different, it's a different style, it's a different energy. And so I think of TV and film from stage acting for what I'm doing and when I'm in doing both at the same time, it's that, it's that I have that metaphor in my mind of the first time I went into a recording studio of how you just have to just be there, have the energy, be thinking the thoughts, tell the story, but not kill the, kill the microphone. And so for me, you know, when I've been in a play, I was like just when I just did Mama Mia and and I went back to class the next day. I have to, like, really think about what I'm doing because I've just been on a stage for 2000 people. And all of a sudden I'm in this room with a camera that is like picking up anything that's too big or too large. So for me, I. Um, I've been really working on it, and I do a lot of self-tapes. And since we did class via Zoom, the only really good thing that came out of that was, you know, we have to self-tape every week. So I've done a hell of a lot of self-tapes. And um, But, yeah, I think mostly it's through invitation. I've gotten some nice auditions and some nice little work opportunity from friends who have this friend who has that friend who – somebody my way and says, "Hey, I've heard you might be interested." You know, at this point, so much of so many people are creating content and sure, a lot of it's low budget, but
1: some of it's really, really good stuff. And yeah, I, and I I feel like the content that was made during the pandemic is, is really going to continue. Yeah. It's not going to go away, I mean, the amount of it. So, I guess being in film and TV is really going to be like such a huge plus now because that's where everyone's headed. It's it's true. But what's challenging,
2: Matt and Stephen, is just, I mean, I went to a bunch, I did a bunch of online casting director workshops during COVID. And the thing that I asked them all, I said, you know, where do you see the industry going? I mean, first of all, you know, people aren't going to spend all this excessive money to produce, you know, the producers aren't going to spend all this excessive money with all the, unless they're just big studios at this point. And so the indie producers are, you know, have to be careful because all the COVID protocols adds like 20% to your budget. But here's the challenge. And I asked this point blank. I said, well, you have Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman and Laura Dern and you know, all of these big, I mean, a listers, a plus listers doing TV shows You know, then it pushes the former A-listers and B-plus listers and the the B-minus listers to the guest starring roles and the co-starring roles. And so the people like us and me who are like, you know, trying to find your way to being a guest star or getting a reoccurring something or anything, you know, the pecking order has just gotten so complicated because all of those film stars are now big TV stars, you know? So... I think it's really important to create content. I think it's really important to find a way to make your own art if you're passionate and some of it and get it into festivals. And that's what I'm doing. And I think, you know, all you need is the right set of eyes on something and maybe something will click, whether it's for other gigs or whether it's to help produce something else or be in something else or help collaborate with something and and it's not going to happen sitting in your living room right It's just not going to happen um,
0: so. or it is, yeah, or it is. I mean or
2: it is like you guys I mean yeah, you guys are creating this from your living room, and it's it's fantastic, but well you're I, more enterprising than me
1: we're also lucky because each one of our business partners is in the same i mean we are in the same house so yeah. it makes it <laughs> it's easy true. it's true. like, hey pass me the butter and do you think <laughs> we should be doing this um so sandy what are you uh now i don't want this to be weighted but like are you are you thinking about a, a, another album another cabaret are you working on a show right now besides with,
0: scotland beso- besides scotland well,
1: yeah, yeah. i kind of yeah, wish i was great. a part of the band well
2: you never that. know you never know you that, never know. You know that
1: t-shirt that you know, i are not gonna say oh i'm sorry i'm staff
2: i'm with um i'm with, I'm with sandy i'm with i'm with the artist sandy I'm with Sand. sandy. Yeah, you know when you get there matt first of all you have to pay for the venue so don't get too impressed second of all you know you're basically they they invite you but you're still paying you have to you know you i forget how it works on the ticket sales you gotta sell tickets and then you got to get out and hawk your show during the day so i'm going to be like you know with my what's it called those things that you know, the placards on front and back come see me come see
1: me well what i'm going to do is i'm going to go to Scotland and yeah. I'm going to cause a big international scandal because i'm going to defect oh good and then the international press will be all
0: over your show oh good i had a i had a cal- <laughs> i had a more calm plan okay what's the <laughs> I was going to say, we're both going to come with you wherever blonde, wear t-shirts that say staff on the back. We're going to dye our hair blonde and we're going to do like street interview things with you and the, the public in Scotland asking if they know who you are, which of course they probably won't. And then we'll, have you ever seen Billy on the street?
2: Yes. I love Billy on the street.
0: That's, we'll do that except we'll dye our hair blonde and okay. you
2: never run know, around boy. with
0: you in Scotland.
2: You never know. You never oh, know. Oh my gosh.
1: Well, let me let me just talk about this. I'm gonna just gonna be full. What, what is it? Um Samantha, Samantha full, frontal. <laughs> what? Yeah, full frontal.
0: Samantha full frontal. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm Sama- You mean sex in the city never or never Samantha, B? Yeah, Samantha B. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Samantha B. I'm gonna do full B. frontal
1: right now yeah. and come clean. You know, uh we had a um a, I have a studio here in my house, which now does not look like a studio. <laughs> I remember it. And I'll never forget uh, Matt Rowe at the time was the sound designer of yes. Nevermore Records, and he said, "Oh, Matt, we've booked uh, Lenny and uh, Sandy to come and do some uh, lay down some stuff, and I can't be there." And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, well, I don't, I can't do, I, I do I know nothing. I am, I am Sarah Jaffe, the developer of, of this. I go out and look cute and raise money." And yeah. I'll never forget him saying, Oh, all you have to do is this. This is, I'm like, Oh my God, this is the worst idea ever. Yeah. And you guys came out and very graciously sat, you know, up in that daggone damn studio. <laughs> and we never, I don't think we ever laid anything down.
2: Oh, I don't remember. I think we did something.
1: Oh, you know what? Matt, I think Matt scooted over here from Signature.
2: You now he signature took priority over your nevermore records at the time. Yeah, you know, better yeah, better salary
1: there. Oh, I'll never forget just being like humiliated because it was like, oh my God, what are we doing? Um,
2: yes. Well,
1: so, so what? So what are we up to now that we okay. can like plug? Well, Where can we find? Sure. You?
2: Yeah, I just I I just did. I have a, I've always had some balls spinning for the last two years all through COVID. I, have, I've started, a, I started a production company um, about three and a half years ago called Three Gems Productions. And I'm getting a new website set up for that. Um, I haven't produced much. Uh, I did produce a short film. It's just, you know, the little witch film, which is the Friendly Neighborhood Coven. Love it. And, and then I produced um, this. I met my part, new partner, Christopher Sepulveda, a couple of years ago, we did a play. We did a Becca Brunstetter play here in Los Angeles called "Be a Good Little Widow," and Christopher and I worked so well together. Um, and so, what I my production company I started, um, and so Christopher and I worked so well together. We decided to just kind of continue on an ad hoc basis, and we're finding projects and working to do things. And we decided that you know I'm, I want to do mission driven work, uh, mission driven art that features strong female characters and try to hire as many women and um, the underserved communities as possible and tell meaningful stories about underserved and for social issues as, as possible. I mean, if a good comedy comes along, I'm not gonna pass it off. Um, and so we have two plays in development uh, one I've been a part of since the first reading, one I found and I'm interested in doing and being in, of course. Um, and I've also optioned another play that I'm having adapted into a feature film. I uh, hope to film it uh, we're, I, we're in I'm in the midst of it all now, just trying to get the right screenwriter. Um, the playwright wanted a first out on uh, on a draft, but she did a lovely uh, rendition of it, but I'm going to see if, if there's something else, else out there that can make the story a little bit more what I want it to be. And um, I'm very excited about it. I think it's, a, I think it has terrific legs. And so that's my big focus right now. Um, I also just shot a really fun short film with my friend, Steve Blackwood up in Boston, who I did the short comedy stock with. Steve is a former Days of Our Lives TV, you know, soap opera idol, and he's a terrific writer. He um, he wrote this other piece that we shot late fall in Boston, and um, it's a film noir uh, period piece, and it's really cool. I'm really impressed with how well it turned out, and I'm really proud of it, and. Um, It's a drama and it's intense. And um, it's like a 20, 21 minute piece. Charlie Barnett scored it for us. It's got this really sexy, jazzy blues kind of, you know, detective vibe. And that's that's in post-production right now. And then um, I also participated in a climate change festival recently from Canada, where 50 playwrights um, submitted 10-minute plays. And we produced one of those as a short film because you could do whatever you wanted with the material. But with COVID and restrictions, it's kind of hard to invite people to a club for a 10-minute play. So we did a, um, we shot it in my backyard here in LA. And it was a really interesting piece by Paula Sismar called The Pageant. And it was about it was it takes place in two thousand ninety one where the climate crisis has been solved and we're living in kind of peace with the earth. And it's just really cute. It's a cute little comedy with uh, three women. And I'm, I'm proud of the casting. We had two. We had I had two terrific, three terrific actors because uh, uh, Natasha. Oh, I forget how you say her name. Olif Olifini, o- o- I think it is. She's uh wonderful black deaf, deaf actress. And um, she was one of my actresses and I um, had another wonderful uh, actress who, oh gosh, what's her name right now? I'm drawing a blank. And, um, and then we had to have an interpreter on set and it was just really, really fun. And so we just did that festival and then we had these three women playwrights talking about art and making art and the complications of telling stories about some of these difficult issues, and how it's hard to get producers to produce certain things because it's so dire, and and it feels so futile that people, you know, are kind of shying away from doing it. But I think it's like the most important thing we could be doing in making art right now is find a I me, mean, make it funny. I mean, you can talk about climate change and make it funny, but we all need to start thinking about it, right? I mean, I want my grandchildren to be alive on, on a green earth at some point. So anyway, that's that's what I'm working on and auditioning when I get an opportunity to and I would love someone to pay me to do something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought of in listening to that um, description of the, the thing set in the future. I directed a play in college that was called The Million... I think it's called million dollar lunch huh. or, or the $5 million lunch, something like that. See, it's so long ago. I can't remember, but it was set in the future where food is a, such a scarcity that people just take pills to like get their daily income and unless, and, and then there's this circle of women who are like in this club where they have like, they're, they're pretty wealthy and they get a guy to come in and, um, He has a briefcase and, you know, they get to choose their million dollar lunch and it's like a pea or (laughs) it's like, you know, one French fry or something like that. That's ridiculous. Uh, And it's hysterical. And it just made me think of that. I've totally forgotten about it. But um, oh, my
2: gosh, that sounds lovely. That sounds really funny.
0: Yeah I can't, I wish I could remember the playwright. A uh, quick Google would probably turn it up, but um
2: if you find it send it to me.
0: I'll write it down right now so I can look it up. Um, that sounds
2: really funny.
0: <clears throat> well Sandy, we love you. We love ta- catching up with you. Oh, uh my gosh. I thanks always, for having me. I know you talk to Maddie a little more than I get to talk to, you, but I always <gasps> get the close. I always get the skinny from him afterwards and ask how you are. So, yeah. are um, you
2: enjoying your new world out there in the in the in the real world. And I mean, you're still getting your art fixed through all you guys are doing and creating yourselves. Are you enjoying your other work?
0: Yeah, I, I am. Um, it's 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 just creating on a different level. It's yeah. interesting because I feel like um, it, it was easy to transition to people who work in not, and this is generalizations are never good, but There's not a lot of creative thinkers in the Uh worlds that I deal in. So I I frequently feel like some kind of superstar just kind Uh of brainstorming things that to me are no brainers. Uh Uh And, and then people are like, Oh my God, that's such a great idea. Well it's just creative thought and creative problem solving and thinking, Uh which we have to do constantly in a Uh rehearsal room. Uh Uh Um, or developing a cabaret or writing a show or whatever we do. So it's, it's, yes, it's, it's different, but it's still creative. So thank you for asking. It's, it's, I'm enjoying it.
2: That's great. That's great. Well, I'm proud of you guys. Yeah. You a new musical. You write, you like turn them out like I, like <laughs> I bake a cake.
1: Well, we had, written Once a, a year. we had written a treatment of a new show, uh, kind of centered around the women of uh, that Jack the Ripper. Yeah, killed.
2: yeah, so and that um, was going to be interpreted in dance, wasn't it?
1: And that was going to be with kinetic. that has kind of been put on a back burner for a variety of reasons. Uh, COVID that we can and, just watch yeah. on the news, yeah. <clears throat> um, and I also think that theaters right now, I'm not, well, I'm, I'm saying I think I know theaters right now are trying not to take too many hard uh chances of unknown things yeah. for fear that it, that it won't yeah. sell,
2: yeah.
1: Um, and then we did write a brand new Christmas show this year called uh, Christmas, Angel. Christmas Angel oh. that will run for five years at Creative Cauldron. Oh. And they are going to produce my our version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow this fall.
2: Excellent. I'm so happy.
1: Um, I think Nevermore Records is officially going to probably pack its bags and leave the earth.
2: Well, it'll become... Soon again or
1: evermore. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe. It's time, it's time, as you know, it's time to reinvent the black dress. Yes. And we all wore the black dress very well, but now we have to reinvent the black dress and we will together. And you'll wear it well, whatever it
2: is. With panache,
1: I might add. (laughs) But but me and Steve talking about you know what this means. I guess everyone is, but you know, we keep talking about like oh my gosh, I guess everything is going to really be digital content. And you know, what does that mean for just our little living room? What what should we do? And I guess this podcast is kind of a part of that, but a YouTube yeah. channel as much as we do now, and you know different platforms that's like, how do you get yourself out there? I do have a TikTok account with the-, the- Oh,
2: good. I, I, I signed, oh, there's a little show that I did that was, uh, that they decided to, um, really interesting piece. It's called The Mels. M-E-L-S. I play an absolutely abominable, horrible person. Um, I'm in episode, well, so, you know, TikTok what, three minutes? Is that what they are? Yeah. So I'm in episode four, part four. That's my debut. And then I'm in episode five, one five four five five and i think i'm in the very last episode of six and really really interesting uh content it's um it's it's written by all black women all women all women all women cast huge cast i don't know how many people in this show um, she's trying to get it pitched as a show, and uh, myself and three guys are the are the um, are an evil family. But it's really, really an interesting show um, to empower young people of color, young women of color, and um, I, I hope something good comes of it. But reading the the, the hate comments about my character. <laughs> On TikTok are a little
1: disturbing. But
2: it's okay. I'm supposed to be. I feel like that means I did my job well. Yeah. But anyway, it's really funny. So anyway, yes, I'm on TikTok too, but I don't know what that means. I just have an account.
0: <laughs> well, we we both have accounts, and like it's it's um it's gonna be well it already is like a huge deal, but I think it's going to be a lot more influential. In our industry, than we even imagine. Um, it's it's crazy how things have changed in such a short amount of time. I just thought it was, I, you guys are
2: you guys are perfect for TikTok because you're so funny and zany. I, I mean, that's those are the best ones. Those cookie ones that are really clever and zany that just kind of like you go, oh my god, I saw one that was so funny. You probably I, have seen it. It's like about the it's like about the cranberry sauce. Have you yeah. seen it? Oh, my God, it's it's, it's hilarious. It's so funny. And every human being who's ever had Thanksgiving dinner has gone through. It is so funny. It's so clever and so stupid. And you think, oh, my God, that is the most stupid thing. And it is so well done and so hilarious that I had so many hits. Very funny. I think you're right. You guys should do it because you would be so good at it.
1: I think I'm just going to dress up in a crazy outfit. And mm-hmm. call myself misunderstood. <clears throat> <laughs> there it is. And then I'll just talk about. You'll just about, have a
2: series. You'll have a whole series. I'll just talk about whatever it is I want to talk about.
1: Um, <clears throat> all right, friend.
2: Good friends. Thank you for having me. And so, so proud of you. And thanks for always making art and and involving as many people in the community that you can. You're your true, generous spirits. And I'm honored and. Thrilled to have you in my orbit, and thank you for being my friends. I appreciate it. We being.
0: love you right back, Sandy. Thank you so much. Love you
2: guys. Thanks so much. Bye. See ya.
0: Thanks so much, Sandy, for joining us. We love you. We love catching up. We talked. For, we went way over. We could have gone way, way, way longer. Over. Yeah. 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 Um, We
1: didn't bring up the dress unraveling
0: during during the showboat. showboat.
1: We didn't talk about me and Sandy's side banter before the final scene of Sunset Boulevard carrying in lighting All the cables in the world. Being like, what are we doing with all of these wires
0: wrapped around us? Yeah, Um, so much more. Um, But anyway, we love you, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining us. If any of you out there want to learn any more about us, you can always visit our website, www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on Facebook and TikTok under Connor and Smith, again, with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Share it with your friends. Put it in your places that you put things. Um, And, uh what what uh, what is going on with you today Matt uh, just just as we're wrapping here any any personal details of, have you had a good day yeah I taught today we had a great little
1: acting class with my kids and um, yeah just working on some stuff I think uh, Baylor Witten's albums going to be available online soon mm-hmm. and um, working on that and um, it's been nice catching up with a lot of our SU Shenandoah University alumni friends that's oh. going to come
0: out at some point. We have not talked about that yet. Coming next, I don't know if we're going to like break it to another season to keep it specific to the category. We've been talking to a lot of our alumni friends at Shenandoah University, that some of which we haven't talked to in 20-some years. Um, we have some teachers, professors coming uh, to talk to us Um, And it's just been amazing. We've talked to students who who have now become teachers. And we have
1: talked to some teachers who have gone back and become students.
0: Yeah, and not always staying in the industry. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But that's not the point. The point is kind of the journey. So that's coming up soon. And we
1: have a surprise road
0: trip coming up. Oh, yeah yeah oh yeah yeah we do and uh, we we have many more exciting guests for you this coming weekend including a certain star of the first reality TV show Um, that is going to be Saturday night so that will be exciting Uh, okay well uh, thanks so much for listening we really appreciate all of our followers and uh, we will see you tomorrow Bye. bye bye